Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. We continue now for the second week our journey through this book of Holy Scripture from the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5, but we'll begin reading in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Now, living God, we pray that by your spirit, you might breathe the words of Christ again into our minds and hearts, nourishing our souls, comforting us. We pray that the sheep of Christ might recognize the voice of their shepherd this day. Help us, O Lord, we pray. For we need assistance even in hearing your living word. In Jesus name. Amen. This passage, verses 3 through 5, which was perhaps even used as a hymn in the early church, is one that speaks ultimately to the praise and honor and worship of Almighty God. Notice verse 3, blessed be or praised is due to God. That opening phrase, blessed be the God and Father, mirrors the kinds of phrases that you would see in ancient Hebrew Scripture where praise is offered, blessing is offered to God. Here, Peter, the author of this text, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that God the Father is blessed, or is to be praised. And then notice why Peter says God is to be praised, because of his mercy. God is to be praised because of his mercy. Here in this text, seen through God the Son, Jesus Christ. So this morning, we are looking at Peter's reason for why God is to be praised. But as we do so, notice the geography, if you will. Or notice the passport of the people, if you will. Verses 1 and 2, as we recalled last week, the people, believers to whom Peter is writing, and we this day are called pilgrims or exiles, strangers, aliens. We are people who are walking streets in cities that, is, that are not our home. And yet, in our text today, Peter's going to further that by saying, but you do have a residence somewhere. You do have a birth certificate somewhere. You're in exile. You're walking through the streets of Babylon, which is this world. Your passport perhaps has all kinds of stamps on it. But you 
belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because you were born somewhere. Peter's going to say that this abundant mercy for which God should be praised is an abundant mercy that has caused us to be what? Begotten again or born again. And this mirrors really the Old Testament words of praise and words of prophecy. You can turn there if you like, but I don't know if you recall Psalm 87. There, the psalmist praises God for Zion, for his city, for the glorious mountain where he dwells. Psalm 87, verse 3. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Yes, ultimately, that city of Jerusalem in the Old Testament where God made his presence known. But looking past that city on a map, on the globe, to that great city of the people of God, the church made up of Jew and Gentile throughout all ages, glorious things are said of the church. But then notice verse 4 of Psalm 87. The psalmist says, I will make mention, and then there's a list of peoples, Rahab or Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre with Ethiopia. All of these other cities are listed, and what does the psalmist say of these individuals? Psalm 87, verse 4. This one was born there. That one was born there. In other words, God is to be praised for dwelling among his people, but there's coming a day when people who dwell with God will come from all over the place, including those evil places that in the Old Testament sought to destroy God's people, like Egypt and like Babylon. A day is coming when people will be born in the city of God and they'll be all over the globe. Peter says in verse 3, God is to be praised because of his abundant mercy, because he has caused us to be begotten again or born again. Christian, you are an exile here in this world. Whether you live as an exile, a pilgrim, a stranger, or an alien, or whether you regularly wrestle with the temptation to call this your home, you are an exile, but you have a place of birth. You have a place of birth, and that makes you a child of God. So I want us to see in our text three realities of being this born-again child. Verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again, or caused us to be born again, to a living hope. That's the first aspect of who we are. Yes, we're exiles. Yes, we're strangers temporarily walking the streets of this fallen world. But we are children, number one, with a living hope. Children with a living hope. Notice, The phrases, we'll just pick these phrases apart. Verse 3, has begotten us again to a living hope. That phrase there, there's one word in the original language for has begotten again. Languages work that way, don't they? Sometimes you need multiple words in a different language to kind of sum up what one word in another language is saying. One word has begotten us again, and that word is only used in 1 Peter. We've been born again or born anew. Notice our new birth is the work 
and the wish of God. One commentator this week, as I was reading, said, we don't praise God. We we don't praise ourselves. Excuse me. We don't praise ourselves for our birth. We don't say, look how wonderful I am because I was born. I did it. No. Similarly, God is pictured as the one who has caused us to be born a second time spiritually. This happens to us by another. We are born again. You can read of this discussion, can't you, in John chapter 3, where in the night hours, Jesus speaks with one of the religious leaders and talks about how people who belong to the kingdom of God must be born again. And the question is, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? But of course, boys and girls, Jesus is speaking of the reality that we have to have new hearts that the Spirit of God gives us. He has to take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. So our bodies are very much the same. But boys and girls, our souls, our hearts, when we're born again by His Spirit, are made new. This is called regeneration or being born again. But notice, we're children born with what? A living hope. He says there, doesn't he? Who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. We're born into a state where hope is constant. It lives. In fact, those who are not in Christ are pictured as not having a living hope. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. There, speaking of the former times before people came to Christ, notice what Paul says. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, Ephesians 2.12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having what? No hope. Having no hope and without God in the world. Many of us have had the experience or we've been around unbelievers, perhaps at a funeral. That's when it's the most palpable, isn't it? We just ask ourselves, I don't know how these individuals are walking through this world without God. Without hope. Peter says, you're children with a living hope. Christians have been caused to be born again in contrast to the unsaved, to the pagans. And if we are born again, we now have a living hope. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Listen there. He says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know, we use our calendars in a variety of ways, don't we? Many of us now use our phones. Those of us old enough to remember the family calendar placed on the refrigerator each year, you would turn it one month after another. Maybe your mom or your dad or grandparent would write on that calendar certain things. And sometimes things were inscribed on that calendar as if it was, I hope that we get to do this. 
We'll pencil it in tentatively. There's a penciling in of something to come, isn't there? Sometimes it would happen and sometimes it wouldn't. That's not the kind of hope that Peter is speaking out about here. I hope that this happens. We often use that word in English that way. No, the kind of calendar that Peter has in view is where everyone in the entire house knows that on this day, this is happening. It's written in pen. And so it's not, I wonder if it's going to happen. I really hope it's going to happen. No, our week, our month, our year is centered in this reality. This hope of something that is sure and is to come. This is the kind of hope of which Peter speaks. We are children with hope. A living hope. A hope that lives. And notice this is all because of God's abundant mercy. Peter will later pick up on this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Notice what he says there. He speaks of us. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. One of the truest realities about you, Christian, is that you have obtained the mercy of God. You have obtained the mercy of God. God has showered that upon you. He's caused you to be born again in that. The world today is full of discussions about a person's identity. The scripture gives you another description of your identity. If you're in Christ, you have been born again according to the abundant mercy of God. But notice that there is a means by which we have been born again as children with living hope. He says, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is a means by which we are born again. In this text, it's almost as if the rebirth, the regeneration of the believer is through the resurrection. Now, we know the scripture teaches us that a sinner who has turned away from God, who is not a believer, is walking in darkness, is a son or daughter of Satan is under just condemnation, and that the Spirit causes that individual to be born again. But here in this text, the resurrection of Christ from the dead seems to be connected to our going from death into life spiritually. We often think of the resurrection simply as Christ's victory over death, and it certainly is. But our new life comes through Him He lives, so our hope lives. Your hope really is a person, Christian. Your hope is not really primarily a place. Your hope is really not even a state of being. How often do we think about what is to come? And we we are right. The Bible gives us pictures to think about it in this way. We're going to heaven. Revelation 21 and 22. We're going to a place where there are no more tears 
There's no more sin. There's no more darkness. And so those things are right. But even above those things, our hope is not a place and it is not a state of being. It is a person who lives and rules and reigns and was crucified for you. We are children with a living hope. We have a passport even though we're exiles and strangers. And it's unchanging. Just two weeks ago, many of you know, I left the country for a couple of days to do some teaching in a missions capacity. And this always happens to me. I think, ah, I need to pull my passport out so I don't forget it and get to the airport and realize I don't have it in my pocket. But this year... Perhaps it was the last few years of not traveling out of the country with COVID. This year I had the thought, ooh, it's two days before this trip and I need to check to make sure that my passport hasn't expired. Because, you know, passports here expire. The book that says you belong here is only good for 10 years. It's not that way with the kingdom of God. You don't need to keep checking your passport here as a stranger and saying, will I, will I be able to get back on the plane one day? Has it expired? He's caused us to be born again by his abundant mercy through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are therefore children with a living hope. But secondly, Peter would have us to see that we're children, those who've been born again with an inheritance. With an inheritance. Look there at verse Notice the way that the text reads. We have been begotten again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. To an inheritance. And notice there are some descriptors of this inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. We have an inheritance. Our inheritance is incorruptible. Some translations might read it imperishable. It will not change. It will not expire every ten years. It will not die or fall away. Because Christ has secured it. But in addition to our inheritance being incorruptible, it is also undefiled. Meaning, it is pure. It's not made up of things of this world that are often corrupt. Beloved, have you had those moments over the last weeks, months, or years in your life where there is just fleeting moments of intense joy? And I know there are seasons as we sometimes walk through suffering or grief or depression or anxiety or things like that. We perhaps go months or even years without feeling this kind of thing. But moments, perhaps it's the grandchild with their grandfather or their grandfather with their grandchild or the mother and the father in the home with their children. And for just a moment, you think to yourself, this is perfect. But it always ends. It always ends. Even the most supreme moments of joy in this life, if we're thinking, are marked by the reality, oh no, this is about to be over. Not so with our inheritance that is to come. We will forever be with the King of kings and Lord of lords, and our inheritance in which we will live is incorruptible. 
and undefiled, and it won't fade away. There won't be sweet moments with Christ in heaven wherein we say to ourselves, oh, I don't want this to end, because it won't. But here on earth, you can have those moments where you're with your children. You think, ah, oh, thank you, Lord. This is such a privilege. But you know that child will grow. And they'll leave one day. Not so with our inheritance. It doesn't fade away in worth or in experience. But notice, there's another component about this inheritance. You've been born a child with living hope and with an inheritance. And we get these descriptors. Incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away. But then notice, reserved in heaven for you. That word reserved. Those of you that like grammar. That word reserved, we need to highlight. There's two components to it in the original language. It's in the perfect tense, meaning that it continues to be the case with ongoing effects. That's intentional in language that Peter uses. But it's also passive. Some of you are thinking, I don't remember grammar. Passive. Meaning... Somebody else is doing the work. It happens outside of us. We're not reserving our inheritance like we often do when we think I'm going to go out on a date night. Let me call and see if I can reserve my spot. We'll call and see, hey, let me do all this work to get a spot, to get a reservation. That's not what is meant here. God is the one who has reserved. This inheritance, and it continues to be the case. And of course, the word heaven is listed there. And this simply means where God makes his presence known, where God dwells. Because, boys and girls, God is everywhere, isn't he? Isn't that what our catechisms teach us from Scripture? God is not far away, and we are here. God is everywhere. There is no place where God is not. And yet, All throughout the scripture, God makes his presence specifically known in a glorious way in a place called heaven. And it's there where the one who is our hope is. And it is there from which he will come to take us to be with him to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled. And does not fade away. An inheritance that is reserved. So we are children with a living hope. Children with an inheritance. But then notice what he says in verse 5. We are children who are protected. You know, one of the most vulnerable places to be is to be a person who is an exile or a pilgrim or a stranger. Verse 1 of First Peter almost implies that we are some of the most vulnerable Because we're walking in lands that are not our home. And yet here we are seen as being the most safe in all the world. Look at verse 5. Who, this is you Christian, this is me, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only is the inheritance being kept for us by God, but we ourselves are being guarded by God. 
We ourselves are being guarded by God. Notice the text says this quite plainly. Who are kept by the power of God? Notice it is God's power that is keeping us. And actually, we need to get very particular with this sentence. Who are kept by the power of God through faith? What this verse does not say is who are kept by faith, hoping for the power of God. Who are kept by the ability or strength of our faith in the hope that one day God would show us power. That's not what this text says. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. Now, the reason that I linger here is this. Notice that it is the power of God that keeps us, guards us, protects us, not our faith that does the guarding. Now, you may be thinking, whoa, I thought we were saved by faith. But every day we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, that is the means. But it is not the ground of your security. Your shifting faith that is strong one day and weak the next is never the ground of your guarding. To be more specific, if you're like me, you think every once in a while, I have strong faith. My shield that is protecting me is really strong today. Maybe I'll make it to heaven's shores. But then we have many days where we think to ourselves, My faith is weak, and if my faith is the shield, if it is doing the work, there's only about one millimeter of metal between me and all the enemies. It's over. But it is the power of God. The means is through faith. Here are some other renderings of it. The Majority Standard Bible reads it this way. Who through faith are shielded by God's power for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I believe the ESV renders it guarded. We are guarded by God's power. And that word, in our translation, kept, or in other translations, describes an ongoing reaction, an ongoing action that is done outside of ourselves. Again, it's passive I know some of you love grammar and some of you just wish that that was a memory from grade school that you could get rid of. But occasionally it's very helpful. These two words that we've looked at, reserved, verse 4, and kept, verse 5, are passive. They happen to us from the outside. But don't get me wrong, we are exhorted every day to have faith. But you are protected, and the best news of 1 Peter 1.5 is you are not protected by you. I am not protected by me. We are kept, guarded, shielded by God's power. Oh, beloved, the temptation is to think that we, through our faith, keep ourselves in God. But it is God who keeps us in Himself. And the means that he uses is faith, which Ephesians 2 says is a gift to us from his hand. Remember the words of Christ, you can turn there. Or just listen, John chapter 10, verse 28. 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Our Lord Christ could not say that to his original disciples, nor to you and me, if the keeping was in our ability. But he can boldly declare it because he is the one who keeps us. We're guarded by the power of God through faith. So by all means, beloved, pray like those in the Gospels. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, strengthen my faith. Grant me deeper assurance. Forgive my weak faith. Absolutely. But you pray those prayers as a son, not as an orphan, hoping that one day you'll make it to heaven's shores. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy. You know how abundant his mercy is? He does the whole thing. From beginning to end. So we are children with a living hope. Children with an inheritance and children who are protected. But notice again before we leave that word faith that it is the mechanism of faith through which we experience God's guarding power, not through works. And then there is something to be revealed. Verse 5 says that we are being kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now this is interesting because how often do we see that word salvation? In in most evangelical circles, what do we say? I am saved. And the Bible would agree with you. If you're in Christ, you are saved. And yet you are being saved. And on the last day, you will be saved. And what Peter has in view here is not that we have to worry that maybe we won't make it, but that this hope which lives because of the abundant mercy of Christ and the resurrection of Christ from the dead is a hope that one day all will see. It's going to be revealed. We are already saved in that we are declared positionally to be kept by God. It is already decided. The debt has already been paid. But our salvation has not been fully realized. You rejoice in the abundant mercy of God. I rejoice in the abundant mercy of God in saving us. We have no clue how much more we will rejoice in that abundant mercy when the King of kings and Lord of lords is seen to be who he is. We think our praise sometimes is glorious here when we praise Him for His mercy. Privately in your prayer closet, you are lifting up praise to God that He saved you. Just wait until the day when He comes and He is revealed. And His revealing brings about your revealing. That's what Peter will say essentially in 1 Peter 1.13. Look there. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. You are saved, but something is coming. Your salvation is going to be revealed, and the one in whom your salvation is centered will be revealed. It 
Salvation is being a joint heir with our elder brother, Christ, being in union with him. And as he is revealed to be the King of kings and Lord of lords, we will be vindicated. Our faith will turn to sight. And this salvation, this inheritance, this glorious reality that never fades away, that is undefiled and incorruptible, will be revealed. So right now, you live in a world where you're constantly looking at your passport. God, this world does not seem to be where I belong. You're an exile. You're an alien. You're a stranger. And just about everything in this life is either corrupted, defiled, or fades away. Even the best of things, they fade away. But not so. If a person in the place to which you belong. Now you may be saying to yourself, this sounds very interesting. God is going to let people go to heaven. You need to understand, though, all of the words that are put into these three short verses. That God has mercy upon sinners. People who don't deserve something. And do deserve judgment. In his mercy, he allows people to not experience all of the judgment that they deserve because his son took it for them. You don't get heaven without coming to Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have to trust in Christ. You have to lean with all of your sin and guilt onto Christ, who says that He will take any who come to Him and see that He is the perfect substitute, the perfect Man who kept the law in the stead of lawbreakers. And the undefiled lamb who poured out his blood that sinners may be washed in the river that flowed from his veins. So if I may be so bold, and perhaps in our world this would be called offensive, friend, you have no hope of heaven if you don't have Christ. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying to you today. This is a sermon that comes from the work of Peter to a particular people. These are to saved people that Peter writes these words. You can rejoice in God's mercy because you belong to Jesus. But if you're here today and you've thus far rejected Christ, you do not have this hope. Everything on your calendar is written in pencil and your passport has expired. Your days are numbered because God is a just God who will punish all sin and iniquity. He just is justice. And you will get God. You will get justice on that day when Christ is revealed. Prior to that day, he announces to the world, through his church, mercy, abundant mercy is available to any who come to me. You have no reason, no reason whatsoever to look at the Son of God and say, He will not have me. And you have no reason, no reason whatsoever to look at yourself and say, I am sufficient on my own strength. Run to Christ, the one who died and was raised. 
the one through whom God has made his mercy. And as you do, by his spirit, you will be a child, born, begotten again to a living hope. Begotten again with an inheritance. And a child who is protected for that great day. Let us pray. Living God, help your people to rejoice and be strengthened in this word. And help anyone who is here, who is wondering about the things of Christ. Oh Lord, would you, by your grace and mercy, cause them to be born again to a living hope. Help us, we pray, our King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.